0: Hi, you're listening to Eternal Stance. I hope this message inspires you to live in light of eternity. If you have your Bibles, would you open to Mark 8:31? Last couple of weeks especially, I've been really thinking about on this subject and one of them is that I hear and I see a lot of a lot of messages and if you go on social media, if you go on Twitter, you're going to see a lot of memes, you're going to see a lot of people trying to encourage and they take one verse out of context and as they take it out of the context, they just kind of say like, oh yeah, you know, like God wants you to be awesome. God wants you to be great. God wants you to be, have a perfect life and so on and so forth. And I think a lot of times it gives the false impression. Of course, it's not that God doesn't want those things for you, but a lot of times it gives the false impression that somehow following Jesus is an easy walk. And I want to just kind of spend this morning just talking on, on that subject: what it takes to follow Jesus, and and understanding that even Jesus Himself said that in this life you will have troubles. So um, in Mark eight thirty one says this, and He, meaning Jesus, began to teach uh, teach them that the Son of Man, referring to Himself rather, must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and and the sc- and the scribes and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed, and after three days, rise again. And he said this plainly. Then Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But turning and seeing uh, his disciples, he rebuked Peter and said, "Get behind me Satan. How's that for? A friend to a friend, talk. right? Get behind me, Satan, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of men. And calling the crowd to him with his disciples, he said to them, if any of anyone would come after me, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever uh, would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospel will save it. For what does a prophet a man, you know the famous line, for what does a prophet a man to gain the whole world, yet forfeit his soul? For what can a man give in return for his soul? For whoever is ashamed of me and of my words, in this adulterous and sinful generation of him, will the Son of Man also be ashamed when he comes and the glory of his Father with His holy angels. Again, I know we prayed a lot, but would you just bow your heads with me one more time? Lord Jesus, I ask right now that you open every single heart. Lord, this is a hard understanding. Uh, this is a really hard saying. I ask you right now, God, that you give us your wisdom. And Father, as as you speak this into our lives, that this would touch our lives and transform us from inside out, that you would change us, God, and restore renew us, Lord. Lord, we thank you. We exalt you. May Jesus pray in everyone. Amen. My question to you this morning is this. Have you ever been sold a bill of goods that didn't deliver what they, were, they promised you to deliver? I think if you have cable or if you're online, you're bombarded with a lot of advertisements. And if, if you uh, don't have anything to do and you spend your evenings just kind of flipping through channels, Right? You, at some point you will come across you will come across some kind of commercial or infomercial right and and the thing is that at the beginning of that infomercial you might be able to kind of ignore it but then you get intrigued right and you're like oh no way that knife cannot cut through a brick like that <laughs> and then it cuts through a tomato like what is this like this is a whole different level of amazing and, and, and then, you know, th- th- what they do is is they try to think of all the objections that you might have, and they address them in advance, and then they put the commercial together, addressing all those objections. And you're like, I wonder if you can cut through paper. Oh, you wonder if you, if you can cut through paper? Well, you can. Let me show you how it's done. And, and then, he, he, little by little, you start to get a bit convinced that you really, really need that knife no matter how many knives you have in your house you you just have to have it regardless what the product is i mean if it's uh you know an ab machine that um it it guarantees you that you'll be able to find your abs again um after all these years and he might start with saying like are you tired of spending uh, money on gym memberships and you're like yeah and are you tired of going to the gym? And it's usually in black and white where it's like, you know, it's, color's not very good. Would you like to have more free time? Like, I've yet to, to hear someone say, like, yeah, no, I'm good. Like, <laughs> I'm fine. Right? Would you like to have more time for vacation? Like, you got me. <laughs> Right so a lot of these things are are put in such a way that a lot of these questions aren't even asked like do you want to or not they don't have open ended questions because if you if they were to ask you do you want to buy the knife you're like no so so what they do is they they we we used to do this in car sales um Jesus has forgiven me for that um but we would We would sell a a car by not asking, "Do you want to buy the car or not?" But we would get in and do a test drive and be like, "Isn't this air conditioning nice? Uh, Wouldn't your neighbor be jealous if they saw you drive this car? Wouldn't it look good in your park, like in your, in front of your garage, this car?" So if you get to, you know, find a person and be like, "Nah, I'm good." right so so a lot of times so we understood the more yeses that you can get out of a person psychologically they were buying the car so the more yeses i got they like the air conditioning they like the steering wheel and no matter the fact that every single car has a steering wheel but this one is special so like you you constantly like sell them on every single feature and then you like so um you know are you done like and they're like oh well i i just really enjoy the car i mean and then they find objections of why they shouldn't be buying it because they're so sold in it already. And it's so ridiculous at times because you'll watch a commercial and you're like, wow, I was, And this whole time I was depressed and all, and, and, but all I needed is a knife. <laughs> like, all I needed for me is to get that app machine, right? Like, all I needed for me, and, and by the time they're like, well, you know, normally this costs you know, $599, but you're not paying that today. You're only you're not even paying two ninety nine, and by the time they get to ninety nine dollars for per month for the rest of your life, right? Like, by the time they get to that, you're like credit card ready, uh, like in, in hand, and you're like, just shut up and take my money, right? Like, why? Because they psychologically manipulated you to really want this product that you don't really need, but they you really want now. Like when we go to the store, we don't pull up the money. Like I don't really know what I want to buy, but here's my money, just take it. Right? No, no, we, we make a commitment in our mind of what we want to buy, then we try to give the money. So, so we buy it here first. And it's one thing, it's a product that if you bought and you filled the whole garage, I'm sure you'll deal with it later. Uh, you probably will spend the rest of the year cleaning every single Saturday. But um, the thing is, I think what's worse is that we start take, taking this mentality to our own soul. We take this mentality that if I can just, you know, if I could just go listen to another motivational speech, if I could just go and get another conference, if I can just go hear the speaker speak, then my life will be different. And, and you go and if you're 25, you're just kind of hitting 25, it'll hit you just a second. But like you hit what's, what I call it an early life crisis where you're like, okay, what am I doing with my life? And then you're 40 or 45 and you start to look around. You're like, I don't really like the place that I'm in in life. And I don't really like my spouse. I don't like the car that I drive, the house. And guess what? All those things you chose. So the problem is not with them. The problem is internal, is with you. And then you hit 70 and then you hit early life. i mean, the late (laughs) death life crisis, right? Like where you're facing death and you have a crisis. Like what was my life about? What I'm trying to say this morning is that we try to constantly look for functional saviors that don't save or function. They don't function or save. We're always looking for the next best best thing that's going to fix our life, because that's what we've been waiting for. And naturally, we carry that in the church. And if I could just go to the right church, if I got the right pastor, if I got all these things, and... uh, I'm sorry to say, but even in the church, there's plenty of people that are willing to sell you that product. There are plenty of people that can can tell you, is your life a mess? Nah, my life is good. I'm I'm fine. Would you like your life to be perfect? If you call in right now and you plant a seed of $99 for the kingdom, (laughs) you will get that right now. Your life will never be the same. Your life will be changed and transformed. It's kind of like a coach saying this to you. Um, you want to be an Olympian? And you're like, oh, yeah, I am so inspired. Like, I, I, I'm so doing this right now. Like, I'm going, like, I want to, I want to be the guy that runs with, with the, the torch, you know? I want to be that guy. And the coach is like, great. Okay, let's do it. Okay, let's do it. Let's, let's definitely do it. Well, what are we doing? Like, we start tomorrow. Okay, tomorrow. Well, what time? Um, 5 a.m preferably if you can get there by four, it'd be nice. Well, I kind of have plans for tomorrow. And, um, but I mean, how long is this going to take? About eight hours. And then then you're going to have to, you know, work after that. And you got to watch what you have to eat. Okay, well, I can probably, I can sleep the other day. Well, how many days? Seven days a week, you're going to train. And then you're going to eat right. Uh, wait, so, so what are we running with the whole, like, what are we running with the, the torch? What are we doing this thing? Uh, Olymp- uh, first of all, you have to pass through all these tests, and you have to be number one in your city, and then your, your nation, and then maybe our nation will consider you to send you to the Olympics. So it might take you four, eight, or 12 years to get there. What I mean by that is in Christianity, we have the same approach where we're like, I want to save the world today. Like right now, I just, I am so inspired right now. It's, it's great. Like I am so doing this right now. It's amazing. When do we start? We start today, right now, right after service. And how long is this going to take your whole life? And it's, 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 what what am I going to have to give pretty much everything? You're going to have to watch what you eat. You're going to have to watch how, what, what, what you do. Where do you spend your time? In the Christian circles, it'll be, you're going to have to kind of realize, okay, what are you taking in? What kind of information are you taking in? Are you exercising this information? Are you taking what God has given you and saying, I will go and and preach to my you know, two two brothers and and hopefully I have a small group and so on and so forth. And as we are going towards this year that's starting right now, I think a lot of times in in the Western philosophy and, and culture that we have when it comes to Christianity is this idea that somehow Jesus came to make us greater, which he did, but not in the context we understand. Jesus is not something that we add to our lives so our lives will be better. Jesus says, I require everything of you. A complete giving of yourself to my will, to what I want for your life. It was J.K. Chesterton. He said this, that it's not that we looked at Christianity and we practiced Christianity and found it wanting. It It was not because of that. It was because we Looked at Christianity, we saw what it takes, and we didn't want it to try it out. Christianity is not an easy thing. Jesus himself said, Hey, you're not, you're not, it's, this is not a walk in the park. This is not for the faint of heart. Uh, you will have moments where you want to quit and leave. They left him all the time. He says that, that Jesus himself had his 12 disciples and then he had more, you know, some, some uh, writers write at 70 and there's, there's people that followed him. And he says the one day he came out and he said, unless you drink my blood and you eat my flesh, you cannot have part in what I'm doing here. And they're like, oh, this is way too weird. <laughs> this is what so they, they said. This is a hard thing. To, this is a hard saying. What is what? What are we cannibals? Like, what? What do you mean? This is that everyone left him except his disciples, and Jesus looked at Peter and said, "Do you want? Do you want to leave?" And Peter said, "Lord, where do we have to go? You have the the keys to eternal life." And here's the thing: this is what we came here for. We didn't come here for the lunch. We didn't come here to be running with the torch, even though if God is choosing you for that, that's a great thing. You came here because of Him. You came here because of internal life with Him. And to look at the benefits and just kind of emphasize those and prosperity and all these things that we hear on TV. And no wonder we have a Christianity that comes in church and says, well, feed me, teach me, give me. And if you don't like, if I don't like how you preach, I will go on Yelp and rate your church, and I'm going to talk about you, and I'm going to give you a two-star, hopefully. <laughs> because it, it just, I just didn't like it. Well, newsflash, it's not we, we like when we don't. It's saying, are we following after him or not? Are we... Are we following after what he's called us to do? Now, look at this. In Mark 8, um, 34, he says this, And calling to the crowd with his disciples, he said to them, If anyone will come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Okay, I want you to, to think about that. He says, deny yourself, take up your cross, and then follow me. Nowhere in there you'll find the only way you know that I'm pleased with you is when you run with a torch and everyone looks at you and like, oh, you're so great. Nowhere do you find where Jesus says, well, you know, your life is going to be perfect. He says, no, you're going to have to deny yourself. You're going to have to say goodbyes. You're going to have to take your luggage. You're going to have to take your suffering, your cross, and then you're going to have to follow after me. Because here's the thing. We've heard this so many times. And I think it's uh, written in Psalm 1611 says this. You make me known the path of life. In your presence, there's fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. He says, you make known the path of life. He says "The Jesus... You know, right, this is Psalms, but obviously it's, it's a Christophany of what Jesus is going to do and what God is doing on our lives constantly. It's saying that you make your path known before me. And he says, in your presence, there's fullness of what? Joy. In your presence, there's fullness of what? Joy. In your presence, there's fullness of joy. So then the question becomes, if you don't have joy this morning, are you in his presence? Because we've we've been sold this product that somehow if you come to Jesus your life will be perfect. But that's not what Jesus is saying. He says in my presence you will have joy. So it's not about the destination. Obviously at the end we understand that we have heaven. But for this moment, in this moment, I don't know if I'm I die today or in a hundred years from now. Hopefully a hundred years from now if I long or Jesus, all right, like, right, but, but it doesn't matter if, when that happens, but in this moment, what you are called to do is to be in his presence, the reason we go around, we, we, we are frustrated, and we encounter fear, all these things, we are so stressed, you know, and we say cliches, like, oh, I'm just too blessed, too blessed to be stressed, I'm just, just, too blessed to be stressed. I, I can't I can be, like, can be stressed. And we say cliches, but we don't mean it. It's kind of like, you know, not actually working out. We understand to be healthy, you have to work out and eat right. And we don't want to do that. So we rather spend $20 on a stupid app machine that, oh, for 20 minutes a day, for five days, and you obviously haven't accomplished for the last five years going to the gym because you've been talking to people. But this thing is somehow going to fix your life. And a lot of times we look at these things for that pill. Or we look for, for that the functional savior that can just change our life and completely transform us in that moment, it just doesn't happen that way. It's a daily decision. It's a daily walk saying, "Are you in my presence right now?" You want to have a constant satisfaction in your life, a constant peace, a constant joy. The way you have that is to be in his presence constantly. He did not come to make you greater. He did not come to make all these things like, oh, you're going to be the the best thing in the world. Because if you remember, that's what Jesus was tempted with. He came that you might walk in holiness and righteousness. He he came that you might become a child of God. He came to restore your life and give you a future in eternity. That is what we came here for. Now, yes, yes jesus does heal he transforms lives there are benefits to being a christian i always mention that if you're in business christianity is not only good for eternity it's also good for business you know i would guarantee that everyone sitting here you want to go to a business that is honest that treats you with gentleness and respect that tells you the truth so so you will have those benefits but you can't treat God as a vending machine where you put your prayer in and you get your need out. God is God. And we can't be going around and saying, well, I just don't agree with that. Well, go ahead. Don't disagree with God because I, I don't really know how to convince you otherwise. We have to deny ourselves. But why is it, why is it so hard to deny ourselves? 1 John 2.16 says this, For the world offers only cravings for physical pleasures, a craving for everything that we see, and a pride in our achievements and possessions. These are not from the Father, but they are from the world, but are from the world. A craving for physical pleasure, a craving for everything that we see, a pride in our achievements and possessions. The reason... It's so hard to deny yourself is because yourself is on the throne. We've been dancing around our own ego and our pride. And when we, when Jesus comes, says, no, 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 that's not going to happen anymore. If I am the king of your life. Remember, Jesus even said this, that you are my friends. If you do what, what I command. Have you ever had a friend go up to you and say that? Say, hey, I I am your friends. If you do exactly what I say. I'm sure you'll find your friends, right? But why is Jesus saying that? Because he's not just a friend, he's king. He is Lord of our lives. You know, and he says, you are my friends. You can have fellowship with me if you do exactly what I say. Because if you do, if you side with the enemy, we are no longer friends. Remember when Jesus was tempted in the wilderness? What was the first Temptation. He was a craving of, you know, he was hungry. So the enemy comes and says, well, (laughs) you're Jesus, right? I mean, I, I heard all those powers that you have and stuff. Right? So why don't you just tell these rocks to become bread? Jesus could have done that. But he's like, no, no, no. I will not listen to you. I know that every single word that proceeds from the Father is food for me. I'm okay. It's not like... What the enemy was saying wasn't like, oh, go and commit adultery. Right? He was saying, use your power. But he was was tempting him. He was saying, can you trust me instead of, can you trust your own instincts instead of the Father? So a lot of times, the reason we have such a hard time to die to our self-nature is because we don't really fully agree that God has the best interest in mind. We, We don't fully are sold on the idea that god knows best what's best for our lives so we have a, a trust issue here and the enemy starts to exploit that and says well are you sure that's that sounds that sounds that sounds a little bit too religious honestly like you should probably just do it because like you don't want to be religious now do you and she's like no, no no no, i'm not gonna do that the second thing is he comes to him and says okay well could you you're jesus right I mean, could you just kind of jump off the temple? I'm sure that the Father, because He cares about you, because you remember how you said that the Father is going to provide the food for you? The Father cares for you, so why don't you just jump? It's another temptation. It's another temptation. It's another thing. It's, it's not that he, what He was saying, like, if Jesus were to jump. like It's not like He's a human being. He was fully human, but he also was fully God. He could call on his God powers to make sure that, you know, all the angels come and all these things, but Jesus would not have any of it. And the third thing, he comes and says, look, I'm going to give you all of this. I'm going to give you all these, these kingdoms if you just bow down to me. And that's why I'm so skeptical. When somebody starts promising me this on TV, they're like, God just wants you to become to have all the world and all these things. I'm like, I don't know if that sounds a lot like God because that a lot sounds like the enemy because that's what the enemy tempted Jesus with because you know why? The enemy understands that the hardest prayer that you'll ever pray is to say, now my will, but yours be done. The enemy knows that the hardest prayer that you have is not my will, Lord, but yours be done. And what do we do in those moments if if the Lord says, my will for you is to go through this brokenness? I didn't, God not, God doesn't, you know, he, he says he doesn't create in the sense that he goes after people to destroy them. That's the enemy does that. But God is interested in changing you from inside out. God is interested in what kind of character you have. God cares about who you are like on a soul level. He doesn't care about you making sure that you have five cars and five houses and you got to make sure that you're taking care of. me. Are you comfortable? Talk to, talk to Pastor Paul about that one. God is not interested in your comfort and my comfort. He's interested in you becoming more holy, more righteous, that you might be like him day by day. This is what he is interested in. That's what you came here for. You didn't come here for all the... If you want to be the Olympian, you're going to have to do the work. You're going to have to be a Christian. You're going to have to prepare for this. Obey. This is a word that we don't hear much in the church. Because here's the thing. To deny yourself, you have to obey his voice instead of yours. God is a king and like I talked about last time about honor, we cannot have our democratic mindset when it comes to him. We have to obey the kingdom principles. And when he speaks, we obey. I don't know how much simple I can make that, right? So, so the first thing is, is to deny yourself, deny your, I, I, but, I want, but this is uncomfortable. <laughs> welcome, welcome to the club, <laughs> right? Like it's, it's extremely uncomfortable to follow Jesus. But, but this is going to be painful. Oh yeah, yeah. Forgiving is going to be extremely painful. You know why? Because Jesus actually forgave you while he was still on the cross and the nails were still in his hands and his feet. And while he was in all that pain, he looked at you and said, God forgive them because they don't know what they do. So can we actually go to the cross and look at what Jesus has done for us and say, yeah, but you don't understand what my parents have done to me. Can, can we go and say that? Can we look at what he's done? Say, no, Lord, Lord I, I don't know if I can do this. We have to get past that. Jesus is going to come, and he's going to call you out of your comfort. He's going to call, and he's going to ask you to, you know, <clears throat> come here and say hi to people out there, and it's kind of awkward because you don't know him. You're like, hey, hey. <laughs> and um, so what would you do this weekend? Like, it's uncomfortable. But true love initiates and you will initiate and say hey you know what i don't care how i feel right now i will love people i'll reach my city i'm gonna go after my school and my job i'm gonna do what god has called me to do regardless how uncomfortable regardless how scorned i get how much hate i get thrown my way because ultimately what it matters i play for the audience of one and that is him and not everybody around me this is what we're called to and then he says and then you're gonna have to take your cross so if, if getting out of your comfort zone and leaving and saying I'm no longer on the throne when Jesus says yes, how do you know that God has called you to this church? You know how you know? That if God has not called you anywhere else, okay, he planted you here until he speaks again, okay? It's not like, oh, I'm just going to go to this church and this church and this church, I want you to listen to me on that one, because I, I see so many times where people go from place to place to place, and then they wonder, why is my life, well, because, listen to what he says, is he really calling you to a different ministry, to a different church, because he will make it very clear, he'll speak to you in your, in your heart, then he'll confirm it through your pastors, and then he'll confirm it through other people, God will, will be very clear if you need to be leaving a church and go start a different ministry, or be a different church. But this idea that I just kind of do whatever I want, you're still on the throne. It's not Jesus. If you wonder if you should be here this morning or not, you're still on the throne. We have to dethrone ourselves. And then we have to take the cross. Now, what does it mean to take your cross and walk with it? Like, I mean, I don't see anybody walking around with a huge cross. Like, that's just kind of Weird. And I also don't think it's like, oh, but I do have a cross. I carry it around my, my, you know, my neck all the time. And it's great because I just look down and I know that that's the cross that I'm carrying. Like, what? Right? Like, <laughs> carrying your cross, the cross is an instrument of torture. The cross is an instrument of death. The cross is an instrument of suffering. When Jesus says, you, you not only will have to leave your comfort, but you'll will, you will start to die with me, resurrect to a new life. And every single time your old way of doing things creeps up, you're going to have to crucify it. You're going to have to put it to death. I love this verse. And then Galatians 2, uh, 2.20 says this, I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I have now in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God. Who loved me and gave himself for me. He says that I was crucified with Christ and no longer I who live, but it's him that lives in me. And when Jesus says, hey, you're going to have to kind of kick your pride to the curb and actually go and apologize, hey, you're going to have to do all these things and and actually initiate all these things that you have to do, well, you're going to have to die to your way of doing things. You're going to have to die to your bitterness, your anger. You're gonna have to die to your ways of doing things. It's either way or my highway or the highway, right? Like we we know plenty of those people, right? It's I'm sure it's not you. It's somebody else. Don't look around. Um, but like the whole idea here is this: is that we have to put to death what is not of Christ. We have to, we have to. There's no way around it. I love this 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 um, story in the Old Testament where. Uh, it's a long story, and I'm going to try and com- compact it as as quick as I can. But it's about Saul. Paul, Saul is this this guy that's tall, and it's the first king that Israel has. and And God says, "I want to, I want you to do something for me. I want you to destroy these." ungodly people that have been destroying others around them. I want you to go and destroy everything. That they're they're called Amalek. And Saul goes and he kinda of does his thing, but then he's like, ah, oh, but uh do the did, did Jesus I mean the did, did the Lord say Jesus did the Lord say that we should destroy all the like the the sheep and the gold and there's so many things that we can take and bring offering to God. And he goes and he saves a lot of this stuff a lot of the plunder that he got. And God speaks to Samuel, the prophet, and he says, go and tell Saul that I rejected him as king. So, so Paul is just like, so, I mean, uh, Saul, not Paul from the New Testament, Saul the king, right? He is so like proud of himself. It's like, oh, I destroyed. But then he has all this stuff like that's coming with him. And Samuel looks at him and, 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 and Saul sees Samuel from a distance and he says, welcome, Man of God, I did exactly what the Lord said. And Samuel looks at him and says, yeah, you did? What is that like the bleeding of the sheep that I hear? The moon, the bears, right? Like, what is that that I hear right behind you? And Samuel looks at him and says, because you didn't do what God said you should be doing, God's going to strip away your throne and give it to somebody else. Don't you realize that to obey is better than sacrifice? And to obey is better than the of rams, right? Like So So he's saying, you thought that you're going to appease God by not listening to him, but just kind of give him like, oh, but I've tried to do that with my mom once. Um, she told me to be home at exactly 10, 10 p.m. It was about 12.30 that I came, I think. And she always does this. She waits on the steps until I, I come home. Um, and uh, But I brought her a cake because... And, like, I'm like, and my mom just kind of went off on me, like, you promised me that you're going to be. And I'm like, yeah, but I got your cake. And she just, like, looked at me and walked away. And I was like, <laughs> and I felt horrible. And a lot of times with God, we do that. We, we don't obey what He says, but we try to appease Him by saying, but I'm going to do better. I'm going to sacrifice. And God says, no, 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 no. I want you to do what I told you to do. Because we see later on with the the king that he chooses David. What I like about David now, David has some problems. Okay, he's got some major issues. Uh, if you thought he had issues, go read you know his life. Um, but Saul gives gives him his uh, his wife um, uh, Michal or Michal, and uh, he he another long story. But basically, the Ark of the Covenant is 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 taken into captivity, and is brought back. And in the process, a guy tried to touch the Ark of the Covenant he was not supposed to, and God killed him because God gave instructions on how this to be done, and, and people kind of ignore that. And David got mad, but then he understood that he, he has to do this in obedience not in trying to appease god but to do it in obedience so he would take 600 like f- feet or something like that and then he would put the, the ark of the covenant and he would uh, you know get some sacrifice around the ark of the covenant and he started to dance you know rather than, so so that's how he carried the ark with the presence of god in jerusalem and he says, and as he got into Jerusalem, he took off his kingly robe, right? He kind of undressed himself. And a lot of people say that he got naked. He didn't, just for the record. Um, he had what we know as underwear, right? Like, so he kind of got, he took his, his, his king attire off. And in, in, in his joy, he started to dance around the ark. And his wife was looking at him through the window. Now, remember, his wife is the queen, right? And, and she looks at him and she says he, she despised him. And after David danced and did all his things, he came up to to her and she just kind of folded her hands and looked at him and said, oh, wow, oh, my, my, my. Like how the king of Israel made himself a fool today by, by undressing and becoming like the commoners. Think about that. She's making fun of him and she's just kind of like saying, how would you... Why would you do that? Why would you make yourself like a.? And he looks at her and says, Mihal, like, don't you realize God chose me as king for a reason? I don't care if people see me as a king or not. I am in his presence, and in his presence, I will rejoice. I don't care how many people look at me and says, oh, you're conducting yourself un- unkingly. I don't care about, you know, being politically correct or not. I-, I-, I don't care about how I look because I am in his presence. I'm going to do exactly what he told me and I'm going to rejoice in his presence. And if you don't get that, I'm sorry, but this is who I am. And God has rejected your father because of that. Because instead of him actually obeying the Lord, he actually decided to do and um, bring sacrifice and i think this is a huge lesson for us because even in the new testament jesus told you on the last part of this of this passage says you know deny yourself take care uh, take take your cross and then follow me to follow him you're going to have to listen to his directions you're going to have to obey because here's the thing here's what kind of puts everything in perspective and we're going to come to a close very soon here But he's saying, because for those of you who are trying to save your life, you will lose it. But for those who spend your life for my sake and the sake of the gospel, you will gain it. For those of you who try to save your life by gather as much as you can. I was watching an uh, interview of Mark Cuban. He says, you know, I just want to die with a lot of possessions. And I just want on my, my epitaph, on my, on my tombstone, to just have a smiley face. And I'm like, oh, that's some low bar to, to hit. Right? Like, this all that you want out of life? And Jesus continues and says, because what does a prophet amend to gain the whole world but lose his own soul? We see plenty of evidence today and so many, so many times before us where people, are, they've achieved the top of their you know, profession. They have money to go around the world. But they don't have an eternity that is certain. So, so my question to you this morning is this. What is your functional savior that doesn't function or save you? What have you been putting your trust in? Is it you're just making sure that you have health insurance? Making sure that you have a stable job? Making sure that you just, you just have to have that career? You just have... What is your functional savior? savior. I remember I was talking to a girl, and like, apparently she was a multi-level marketing, and she was just like, man, uh, what do you do? I'm like, I'm a pastor. She's like, oh, you're one of those, huh? Well, let me tell you, like, I have this product that is good for arthritis, it's good for your kidneys, and I'm thinking like, oh, wow, that's actually really good, right? Like, it's good, it can cure cancer, and I'm thinking, whoa, that's impressive. And then I realized it was just a sales pitch. But we have, our message has something that's so much bigger than all of that. You see people give their lives to go save someone from a rubble, from a building rubble. But we are called not to just save someone for 30 years. We are called to save people, obviously God through us, not us doing it, right? For eternity. We are called to show people a way out. We are not called to give people pillows on the plane as the plane is going down. We're, given, we're called to give them parachutes a way out. We are called to so much bigger. And when I look at people that spend years and years and years studying to become a doctor so they can save another person for so many years. But we are called to encounter God and then through our lives impact the world around us and to care the hope. Now Jesus doesn't say that for those who give their life for others. The only qualification here is for those who give their life for my sake and for the sake of the gospel. Those get saved. So let me ask you this. What is your legacy? What will people say 100 years from now about your life? More importantly, what kind of eternity do we face? Have you thought about this? We can have a whole eternity to think about every single decision that we've made. That's why we don't have time for trivial things like bitterness and pettiness and unforgiveness. We don't have time for all of that. I think of my grandma who She was so in tune to hearing the Lord. She never made a huge impact in the sense that like how people say she lived in a village of 6,000 people and she knew a few different families. That's all she, she knew. She had a whole bunch of kids, but she went to this prayer and her life was transformed. Now at that time in our village, there was no church at all. We didn't even know like who Jesus is or anything like that. That was before I was born. And then she came and, and like she had an abusive husband and, and, and her trembling, she started telling people about the Lord. And that turned into a small church. She never made it to the finals. She, she never made it to a huge arena, preaching or any of that. But she instilled the faith in my, my parents, which instilled the faith into me. And I remember when she died, I was about four and a half years old, and my dad went to her to the hospital, and my dad's like, "Well, the doctors are saying you're fine, and we're going to come and pick you up in about three hours for four hours. I don't know exactly how. It was. And she looks at my dad and says, "Michael, I'm going home, but I'm not going with you." He spoke to me this morning. Jesus talked to me this morning, and he's taking me home today. And I was like, "My dad's like, "You're talking crazy? like what do you?" so they left for two hours and then she died when I look at her legacy that she left she never had money she barely raised her family but godliness is so much more than gold godliness is so much more than a great career godliness is so much more so if we pursue all that we're selling ourselves short so I'm asking you to pray and then I'm going to give it to Pastor Yuri, but I want you to think of your functional savior. I want you to think of the moments where you just sort of went as a rescue to this thing instead of God and bring it before the Lord. So Lord, I, I've been trusting things that are made out of, out of wood and clay, things that are made of, out of metal and, and plastic and leather. Lord, I've been trusting my career. I've been trusting all these things. But Lord, we we need to encounter you. Thank you for listening to Eternal Stance. My hope is that these messages will help you to live in light of eternity. If this podcast is a blessing to you, would you share with other people? Thank you in advance. And until next time, God bless you.